Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to ABG, Asian Boss Girl, a podcast for the modern-day Asian-American woman. My name is Helen. I'm Janet. I'm Mel. And I am Christine. Mental health is a topic we frequently receive requests to talk about on this podcast, and it comes as no surprise. As Asian Americans, the idea of dealing with mental health is without question a taboo topic in our community. Discussions about health and wellness are on the rise, particularly with heightened stress levels and societal pressures. Dealing with external factors such as our careers and our families and internalized factors like telling ourselves that we're not good enough, so much of the noise leads to what can be summarized as dealing with our mental health. To be completely honest, mental health was a topic that the three of us did not take lightly and felt a bit uncomfortable to address because we felt like we weren't coming from an academic enough place to speak to the topic. Many times we would downplay what we were going through since it seemed less severe and could even be considered petty. But we recognize that mental health comes in many stages, from the less severe, like stress from work, to very severe, like dealing with depression. And we wanted to use this episode to talk about the spectrum of mental health that we face on a day-to-day basis. Today, we brought our very good friend and fellow podcaster boss girl, Christine Chen, to the table. Christine has been incredibly brave and open to discussing her own experiences with depression and how she dealt with it. Thanks so much for being here, Christine, and welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to be here. Woo! Oh my Christine! god, I'm like a crossover. Yeah. I know, yeah. <laughs> boss girl, Asian boss girl crossover. Yeah. It's crazy. I'm like I'm in your guys's headquarters, right? Oh, Janet's, uh, Janet's living room <laughs> slash bedroom slash my dining table. It's so beautiful. <laughs> Just not her bathroom. <laughs> no, I'm so, so happy that you guys are doing this topic. Like, honestly, when you guys reached out to me, first of all, I was like, oh my God, yes. You know? <laughs> and second of all, I'm like, yes, I'm so happy that there's more discussions about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you guys are such a huge force in the community and within the network that you guys have built and your listenership that I think just talking about mental health is key. And for my podcast with Regina, it's called Perfectly Imperfect. We've done an episode about it and I talk about my depression. And I've also talked to you guys, mm-hmm. like shared a little bit about yeah. my experience. So hence, you know, me being here. I actually was listening to that episode because I recorded it in the height of my depression. And it's been, I think, two years now. And it's been quite a journey. So I'm excited to talk to you guys about just even how I realized it and how that happened with like the discussions happening with my family, how, you know, these past two years have been like, Mm -hmm. and hearing your guys' experience with just mental health in general, especially since I think this dialogue is important. I mean, I don't want to narrow it down, but for the Asian community, because there's a certain perspective and stigma that is associated with mental health. No, I agree. For me, when I look at you, Christina, I feel like you're like us, like you're like our normal everyday Asian American woman. You never think it would happen to you. Right. And and then it does, right? Right, right. So do you mind walking us through like, you know, your experience with depression? or how you even started? Yeah, absolutely. And I think everything you just said is so true Mm -hmm. because I never at all thought that it was depression. Mm -hmm. I just thought it was me being weak. Mm -hmm. I was coming from a time where everything in my life just kind of hit me all at once where work, family, my relationship with my boyfriend, Jack, like everything just went to shit. How I dealt with it was just I internalized it, I stuffed it and I just kept like my head down and just focused on work. And I think the result of that was that not only was it a burnout, but it was a burnout Mm -hmm. on every level. Like every level of 
my physical health, my mental health, and emotional health. Thinking back now, it actually makes a lot of sense why I went through depression. Mm-hmm. And I know there's like you know different studies about is it hereditary? Is it like just a chemical imbalance? Whatever it was, it happened to me, you know. And I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. I just felt. Like there was something wrong with me. Not that I was like, oh, there's a mental thing. It was just like, why can't I just let it go? Why can't I just be normal? Whatever normal meant. Mm-hmm. Could you walk us through like what were some of the symptoms or experiences that you had? To be honest, at the time when I was feeling these things, I didn't know it was depression, right? Mm-hmm. But the things that came up, like the thoughts were a lot of like self-blame. I felt defeated. There's a lot of shame mm-hmm. in feeling this way. Like I shouldn't be feeling this way. Like mm-hmm. how dare I? The guilt part of like, oh, you live such a great life. What is there to be sad about? What is there to be, you know, feeling upset about? I felt like a huge failure. Mm -hmm. And I think from the outside looking in, you wouldn't think that because I did such a good job of being a good Asian person and keeping my shit together, right? Right. From the outside. And then I think it really just stemmed from not feeling good enough ever. And it just really highlighted all of that. And when I finally quit my job, I just leaned fully into that like really dark space. I think that was ultimately consuming me. I think what I could say what the feeling was it's just I felt like a really sad existing zombie I was not fully present in life Mm. and I was just going through the motions and I think the further and deeper I fell the more hopeless I felt the more that I felt like not in a suicidal way but just like what is the point like you're not good enough for anything. You couldn't keep your job. You couldn't do what you set out to do. Your family life is shit. You couldn't keep your family together, your relationship. Like I broke up with Jack and ultimately just felt like, what is the point? So I literally shut all the blinds, all the curtains and just fell into bed for months to the point where I wouldn't even get up and make food for myself a lot of times. I just stopped functioning as a human being. Yeah. I think that's a very important distinction to call out for people is that people often think about depression, think about the extreme of like, oh, it means that you're like suicidal. It doesn't necessarily mean that. It could just mean that you're feeling incredibly disengaged with life. Yes. A lot of the things are just like, you know, you just lose interest in everything because people are like, well, what about sadness versus Mm -hmm. depression? You know, and there's a distinction because sadness is an emotion that everyone feels and it's perfectly normal. You'll have days where you just feel sad and I still have those days too, right? But I feel like depression is more of the length of time. Mm -hmm. So I think there's like if you feel sad or that empty hopelessness for more than two weeks and that's something you should take note of and those are things i didn't even know i didn't know and i actually found out through an unrelated visit to my primary doctor i was going through just physical like well i had hyperthyroidism Mm -hmm. so that also is very linked to depression because that's one of the it could be one of the things right And he just started asking me a lot of questions because I was looking for a therapist and I wanted to see if my insurance covered it. So I didn't even go in asking like, do I have depression? I didn't even think of that. I was just like, oh, do you recommend any therapists and stuff? And he started to ask me all these related questions about Mm -hmm. what I was going through and all the things that I mentioned about feeling hopeless, the length of time and all of that. And then he was like, I can confidently confirm that you're like clinically depressed. Mm -hmm. And that's when I just like, it was like a mind blown Mm -hmm. moment where I was like, oh, like I almost cried because it was like a sense of relief. Mm. I'm like, oh, so that's what yeah, it is. Explanation. Yeah. 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 How long are you feeling this way? And and when did your doctor tell you? Like, was it like two months and you feeling dark that he was like, I think you're clinically depressed? No, I felt glimpses of this even while working at my job. Oh. So I think I would say like it took like maybe two three years. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Were you at that doctor's visit while you were still working or after you had already quit your job? I already quit, and that's when I was in like the midst of just living day to day I think the one thing that I'm very which is very me is that I was telling everyone (laughs) you know so that helped in kind of yes I isolated myself and I completely distanced myself from everybody in a social aspect but when I go home and talk to my parents or actually I wasn't talking to I was talking to my mom or my brother I would just be like there's just something really off I just feel really really sad and I don't have the answers Mm -hmm. when before I think what I prided myself on was that especially with my family that I had my shit together Mm -hmm. I think that was the one one thing because looking back now on a deeper level because I came from a place of not feeling good enough I overcompensated and just wanted everyone to feel like no she she got it yeah. she's yeah. good you know but on the inside what I was covering up and the armor that I was using to protect not only myself from other people but myself from really admitting that I don't have my shit together mm. I think all of that just the weight of it just fell on me so I think that contributed to the depression as well so we all know that like the job that you quit was one that was very public right yeah do you think that this depression started before that job because when you're in the public eye and I think this is linked to a lot of what people feel nowadays
nowadays with like social media and feeling like they have to get their shit together mm-hmm. and they're everyone's role model so they have to come off as like mm-hmm. very put together very happy very you know on top of the ball at all times flawless right? exactly flawless do you feel like you had the depression before the job or do you think it developed because of this very public image that you had to maintain what a great question oh my Thanks. god um, <laughs> i did a lot of reflection in like have i always had depression because i feel like there's been many significant moments in my life in my past like Mm -hmm. especially like say after college graduation i was like what am i doing with my life you know but i didn't know what it was at the time Mm -hmm. so i think my answer would be that i've always had bouts of it depression's always kind of been in the back Mm -hmm. you know and they're definitely it's triggered by stress Mm -hmm. so i think because of this job it was very stressful (laughs) i think all of those things combined with not only the work aspect but the mental and physical aspect Mm -hmm. and the public image i think the public image is something i didn't expect from the job going in Mm -hmm. and then when i was in it i was in it i Mm -hmm. leaned in in like oh man i have to maintain Maintain whatever yeah Yeah. but i already still had that like i didn't feel good enough so i again overcompensated Mm -hmm. and i think it's that huge difference of who you really are and then who you want people to think you are that's exhausting to keep up on just a general level you know and i think Mm -hmm. that's why mental health relates to everyone because especially during this time with what you said helen about like social media and the Mm -hmm upkeeping of this image you know everyone goes through that yeah so you mentioned that you had maybe previously in different periods of your life felt maybe during certain stressful times that you would go through like maybe more mild episodes of depression and did you feel like this was like the biggest period that you've gone through yeah i think in this way i've never experienced such a weight and hopelessness i think before i would push myself to go and do things Mm -hmm. and stay productive i think with this i just was just so tired Mm -hmm. just physically mentally emotionally tired i also wonder like after you quit your job you know that's when you started really sort of like closing the blinds and being alone in bed and you're starting to really feel the full weight of depression and i do wonder sometimes like nowadays we're all so busy we have so many things Mm -hmm. we like try to you know hang out with friends or go out or whatever it is to almost not think about what we're actually going through if we were in a very still place so it's almost like right after you quit your job it's like you have all this time to yourself are you really happy with yourself right the sadness is starting to like show its face from a very deep place you you didn't have the luxury of distraction essentially Mm -hmm. right yeah and there's like this quote that jim carrey jim carrey is amazing i love jim carrey right oh my god and everyone says he's crazy but i'm like i get you yeah (laughs) i get what he's saying and he he basically was sharing this thing about like depression is just your body needing deep rest Mm. and i think that really was what it was and i felt like at the time i think maybe just the asian in me was like get your ass up and do something you know like push yourself out of this and not realizing that essentially I I felt very hazy I could Mm -hmm. not focus I could not process what I thought I should be processing because I'm like if I'm not working then I should make the best use of this time to self-reflect right I was also recording for perfectly imperfect during this time and Regina would tell you there'll be moments where just like no stop the recording I can't do this you know or she'll have to pep talk me up into when we're about to record I'll be like okay yeah 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 I wrote the outline we're, we're good and then right when I'm about to record I'm like I can't do this you know and it's just one step forward three steps back type of thing yeah. mm-hmm. ultimately what got me out of it was I started taking antidepressants I think antidepressants really really helped me get to a place of quote-unquote normalcy mm-hmm and to where I'm not just like a dysfunctional person in bed. Mm-hmm. Cause like there are different ways, like you can be a very functional depressed person. So the, right. the, the things that like I felt as a depressed person can be very different from other people's experiences. I think that's the thing, right? Cause we're constantly shocked about, you know, you hear about people who let's say commit suicide and you're like, they never showed any signs, right? Yeah, right. And I think that's the part about mental health where it's key to understand that it's, it shows up differently in different people. Mm-hmm. So my experience is just from my personal experience of what I've been through. I'm curious to hear your guys' experience with like mental health in general. I would say I actually relate a lot when you said you reflect back on different periods of your life where maybe there was like big stressors, right? You're like right after you graduate or going into college. Like it was like every four years when you have like a big thing that happens. (laughs) I'm also, I run on the more like stressful personality type. Mm -hmm. So um, I definitely would also experience like certain periods where I knew I wasn't reacting well to stress and then there's like depressive type symptoms right like I would just sleep a lot or I would be overly stressed and then go into the the period of like 
deep anxiety. And then I similarly experienced like what I felt like was like a midlife quarter life. (laughs) I don't know, like an implosion from like 2011 to like 2014. I did seek therapy and I was diagnosed with like double depression, which is they call it like a major depressive disorder on top of persistent depressive disorder. So major depressive meaning there were external factors in my life that could explain a depressive period. Mm. And then persistent meaning you just have a personality type where on in general, you run a little bit more on the depressive side. Mm. The point that I kind of wanted to go back to is when we were talking about multiple periods where when you're in school, it's kind of like maybe one factor of your life that's changing. The thing that I feel like really made me implode was like having multiple factors in my life all kind of feel like they were falling apart. Yeah. So I would say for our listeners, like it's very important, I think from an early age to be able to have a certain sense of self-awareness on how to manage your stress. Mm -hmm. Because now in hindsight, after going through that, I'm like, there are methods that I use where I can start to spot when I'm starting to hit a depressive point. Because let's be like, we still have a lot of life to live and you're going to hit more periods of stress. And there are going to be periods when there's going to be multiple things that are like kind of shifting. Mm -hmm. So knowing how to spot when you're like starting to hit a more stressful period and then how to manage and kind of, you know, go through like self-care. And what are some things, Janet, that you're doing to sort of address this? So the yoga. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, we we just, uh, yeah, we talked a little bit about like physical fitness in another episode. It's very interrelated, physical health and mental health. Yeah. Yeah. The endorphin lift for me is enough. And maybe just taking a step back to like, I do want to kind of clarify when we talk about the spectrum of depression, the depressive disorders that I've experienced have not been like super, super severe to the point where I did try medication for a little bit, but that was actually kind of more for like anxiety and I didn't really notice a big difference. So I would say that- Did you have any side effects from? I didn't really notice and maybe I didn't take them for that long. So Mm -hmm. I think it takes time for it to settle in. I didn't really notice a benefit and I didn't really notice any side effect deterrence. I did notice though, like when I changed lifestyle habits, I got very much into like healthy eating because I noticed Mm -hmm. that it did affect my mood. Mm -hmm. And then with exercise, that was enough for me to feel a difference. That's just kind of my personal experience. I know there's a huge spectrum. I had other personal friends that benefited from taking, I don't know if it's like antidepressants, but they were dealing with more anxiety and they felt they did say like, it made a world of difference in their basic functioning day to day. Yeah. Like energy levels and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the energy really helped with that. And I think at the same time I was dealing with my hyperthyroidism. Mm. So it was kind of like a double. Yeah. that That's a lot. And it's of like, yeah, just having no energy, but then it is little by little. And I think that's the thing where, you know, whether you're going through like mental health or just anything in life, making this huge jump shows that you're making progress, shows that you're you're doing something, right? But then what I'm realizing now also in my journey as a life coach is that it's really in the little wins. And that's how a lot of quote unquote successful people, if you want to view them as successful, but like not in like just a financial way or societal status way, but just how are they so happy all the time? You know, Mm -hmm. how are they able to accomplish all the things that they say that they're going to do? Well, it's through the little, little steps and the little, little wins. And I think that's something that is a really big takeaway from if you want to talk about the self-love, self-care that comes from dealing with say mental health, Mm -hmm. it's. I think even just getting information or talking about it with a friend, reaching out, like people that want to connect with you, take it. Yeah. You know, I think Helen, we were talking about it earlier where if you don't mind sharing, it's like there's almost a sense of I don't want to burden people with Mm -hmm. my troubles, right? Yeah. And I would say that different from Christine and Janet, like I guess for me, I've never thought I had like mental health issues or anything like that. But I would say that with my job, there does come a lot of stress, like sometimes 40 hour days. Like, of course, you're going to get stress out from that right yeah but i think i'm the type of person also likes to just be very physically active i think Mm -hmm. the physical activity Mm -hmm. is literally one of my releases to not continue these thoughts of feeling stressed out and i'm able to jump from one thing to the other but at the same time i realize you know other people share their stories about their mental health journeys that i don't share when i am stressed out and i think a lot of that comes from the whole this is a taboo topic It comes from upbringing. It comes from put your head down, work hard, Mm -hmm. and don't complain. Don't ruffle any feathers because why burden other people with what you're going through when they're also going through things, right? Mm. And it's like, I'd rather listen to other people tell me about their journeys or their difficulties rather than burdening other people with mine. And I literally think that is because of just the taboo topic of mental health within Asian families. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So have there been times that you have shared with people? Yeah, close to I you? mean, we've recorded our podcast and I've come in after like a long day and I've just been like, I think it was like something with shipping. We were shipping out shirts and there was like some error and I just got so overwhelmed that I went to the bathroom and cried. And then I think Janet and Mel were like, uh, okay. <laughs> 
I was just like, I had a really stressful day at work and they were super good about just like, okay, well, let's take it easy and all of that. I do share my stress, but I still feel like it's a burden sometimes. And I know it's not good for me to sort of internalize these thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I do also want to, you know, seek out a therapist and just have someone who's very unbiased to just listen. And I think it's helpful to hear you guys tell your stories about even going to a therapist or even calling up a therapist and figuring out, you know, who's good good for you. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that because I think it's really important, especially in the Asian community, where I think so many people can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Just like, don't air your shit out, you know, and keep it close and deal with it yourself. And I think there's that like, and this is maybe where we're talking about it. If it's not as severe or like crazy as somebody else's, then you have no right to talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, so who are you, privileged person, to talk about it? But I think that's the thing. What I realized through my depression is that, and even through life coaching, is that it's okay to feel what you're feeling. It's completely valid. You know, it's not to say there's a right or wrong, but you're feeling it, and you're feeling it for a reason. And it's because of your own journey, what you've been through, the circumstances, the people that you've encountered. Nobody's been there like you've been there for yourself this entire time, Mm -hmm. right? So you can't explain your whole entire life to somebody who just doesn't know what you've been through. So to discount yourself, for feeling a certain way that's coming up is actually doing yourself such a disservice. Mm -hmm. And if you pull yourself out of that, it's such a disservice to everybody around you. I was reading that within three degrees from people in your life, you actually reach a thousand people within your circle. So imagine showing up like for myself, not fully myself, overcompensating and bringing that energy in, even though I felt like, oh, I'm being happy and peppy, but internally I know that there's something wrong. I think what I realized is I knew and I felt felt the signs that my body because your body is always constantly talking to you Mm -hmm. right and I stuffed it I was like shut up get Mm -hmm. your shit together I think now looking at it it's like I'm trusting it Mm -hmm. you know I'm like oh there's there's a reason why I feel this way there's something that's there it's a trigger for a reason you know and I think the first step is what Janice said is like that awareness of Mm -hmm. it and that's a huge step I think people feeling like oh I shouldn't be feeling this way Mm -hmm. well the takeaway is like you're aware that you're feeling it that's a great thing yeah you know and don't discount yourself for it and I think to Helen's point with a lot of the Asian culture we think that you know we need to have all of our stuff together we don't need to burden people I would flip it and say like you should be responsible for your own happiness because if you can't be happy you can't really help other people right yes. and if, yeah. and that was the thing that like for me a lot of these like self-care things it felt like it could be interpreted as like a really selfish thing like why are you yeah. focusing so much yeah. on yourself right. but if you don't take care of yourself then you're no good to anyone else and mm-hmm. I think that's just something yeah. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree I think I mean I could talk a little about I guess my journey with mental health I'm a control freak to some degree like I'm a planner I had always had my shit together in college I think when I lose control of something I start getting really anxious so anxiety has always been kind of like an underlying thing for me and I always felt like growing up I remember in high school and college I had like a period of oh this these few days I'm really anxious and I get over it and then it goes away mm-hmm. I did notice as I started working or I moved to LA and my anxiety has increased and I think it's maybe because like I don't have control anymore quote-unquote on my life because I don't know what's gonna happen you know I think when you're life is like planned out for you from college and high school like yeah. you have one less thing to worry about but I think like Janet like when you start losing control of multiple things mm-hmm. out of your life you're like you start freaking out and I think one time I noticed my anxiety was increasing so my doctor I, I went to my doctor she's like you know what? maybe you should try meditation mm-hmm. and so for me I was like okay like this is like a preventative thing I could do to like manage my anxiety levels with work and stuff and so I started meditating and it was extremely helpful and helped me like kind of control anxiety because one thing I learned through Headspace is that you can't get rid of anxiety you can learn how to control it mm-hmm. so when it starts rising what do you tell yourself because like you know for me my anxiety was triggered from like not performing at work mm. I made a mistake I'm so hard on myself like why did you fuck up oh my god how did you miss that detail I'm getting scolded by my manager it's like I don't want to be in trouble and I hated that feeling of fucking up you know I wanted to be that perfect employee mm. meditation worked for a while and then something happened to me that really just kind of changed my mindset on mental health a little bit because I thought anxiety was very kind of low-key, you know, like the very less severe side of mental health. One day I was at work. Everything was fine. I made a small little blunder. I could feel myself like my anxiety was increasing. I was like, no, Mel, you're fine. Talked myself out. And then everything was okay. All of a sudden, I just felt like this like influx of like emotion. And mm-hmm. I was like freaking out. And I at that time, I texted someone who was in my life. And I was like, hey, if I just call you real quick, because I'm the type of person that if I'm feeling anything, I'm a venter. 
I got to talk it out. Yeah. That person was like, yeah, sure. And so I ran outside of my office building and all of a sudden I just started crying. And mm-hmm. it was like, I felt like this immense pressure in my heart and my body and I just couldn't control it. Yeah. And I just couldn't breathe and I was freaking out on the phone. I was like, I don't know what's happening to me. And I was like, I think I'm having a panic attack. Like I never yeah. thought this would happen to me because I had an old roommate that had panic attacks and he would tell me about it. And I was like, oh yeah, kind of understand, but not really. But when it happened to you, you're like, oh my God. Yeah. I'm going through this too. And her panic attacks can almost feel like you're about to die. Kind of, yeah. For me, it was like an emotional, yeah. like, it was like hit with emotions. Your yeah. heart's probably beating super fast too. So it's yeah. like a yeah. physical and breathing becomes restricted. Yeah. 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 So like, I think when I was going through that, what's a telling moment for me really hurt me was that that person in my life I went to for help and support, you know, as a friend. Mm-hmm. And this person was like, I don't understand. You don't know what's going on. And for someone who likes to be in control, this is the mm-hmm. worst feeling. It's like, do you think I like... This not feeling of not being in control, this sucks for me. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, you know, I'm not a doctor. I can't cure you. I was like, I'm mm. not asking you to cure me. I'm asking you to be there for me as a friend. Yeah. This one statement really just set it off for me. And that person is no longer in my life because of that. He was like, I don't get it. You run a podcast about being a boss. How do you not know what's, what's, oh. how do you not know what's going on? And Terrible. I was like, mm. and then when I heard that, I was like, you are a complete asshole for saying that to yeah. me because I think being a boss woman or being someone strong is being aware that you have issues being, sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Being vulnerable, it's totally fine, but you're in control of learning and knowing how to deal with it. So when I heard that comment, I was like, this bitch. But, <laughs> you're an asshole if you're listening. Yeah. And yeah. I, so I think after that moment, after that situation, I took in my own hands to like seek therapy because I was like, you know, mm. the panic attack wasn't as severe as my other friends, but I was just curious to hear like, why did it happen? Yeah. You know, I just wanted to know and take more preventative steps. And so I found a therapist, luckily with the first try. She was great. You know, my therapist, I seeked her out in a more like, I just want to like casually talk about what's going on in my life. Why am I stressed? It felt like girl talk for me because she's a female and I felt like it was more casual. It wasn't like I was going there to like unroot some deep mm. like issues I had, but Every time I'd go talk to her about like work or I'm stressed with this, just leaving an hour session just felt like I've started my day off right. Mm. And I felt like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. And for me, it was just like, it felt good. Yeah. For me, it also felt good to know that I am taking care of myself mentally. Yeah. Like that's what I want to do. And so I feel like mental health for me, it's like a everyday type of thing that you want to make sure you're okay and take care of. So I don't think you have to be, you know, dealing with like severe cases to want to take care of your no. mind, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like I do think you should take care of your mind as much as you take care of your body. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the like scariest things is like if you're going through something and it's coming from a very dark place mm-hmm. and you're uncomfortable sharing that story with especially people who you love yeah. and mm-hmm. people who you trust, right? Mm-hmm. And you bring it up to them and that's how they react. Yeah. That's almost like this person that loves me is no longer accepting me as a person mm-hmm. and you feel like you break that relationship because yeah. they, they don't see either eye they don't understand you right no totally and they don't accept you for who you really are since that's my first situation or case of feeling like has she having a panic attack and feeling like oh my god i think there's something wrong with yeah. me and yeah. then and the thing is the way he was reacting he was like i told him i said i think you think i have a problem i, right. I felt extremely yeah. judged and i was like whoa this sucks yeah 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 and i just didn't know how to deal with those emotions at the time and i think for me it just kind of put into light our perspectives of people dealing with this and i feel like you know what like i could kind of see how you know what you're going through yeah. to some degree right i would say that's a great subtopic of like in terms of seeking help and support mm-hmm. and also if you are a friend and you see someone going through something that you might not understand but maybe you can help guide them to a professional yeah because i did have some friends that asked me like oh what's the difference even going to a therapist and versus just talking to my best friends about my problems, right? Mm-hmm. There's like two things. One is I think the older that we get, the busier that people get, it's hard to seek time. Like you're probably still going to like talk with your friends and stuff. But it's if you see a therapist and you have a regular weekly scheduled hour or two hours with the person, like physical fitness, right? You're fitting in your schedule mm-hmm. that you're making sure you're getting time for that. But also it's a trained professional, someone yeah. who's been trained to recognize thinking patterns, behavior patterns, and can offer you objective support. Yeah. But Christine, could you share with us kind of like how you went about seeking therapists? Did you go to a couple or how did you find a good fit? And also, I guess, did you go through a similar situation as Mel where the first person you talked to maybe wasn't a therapist? Mm -hmm. And did anyone ever judge you for what you were going through or make judgmental comments? Not when I was diagnosed with depression. I think I was really fortunate enough to have people around me that just even my parents, they just created a space where they're like, we may not have the answers, but talk to us, you know, come to talk to us. Mm 
I think before I was diagnosed and as I was voicing, I say for Mel, right? Mm-hmm. You may not have been diagnosed as like, oh, you this is, is anxiety, like, anxiety, like an actual, it is, it is right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like, but you're in tune with like something's off. Yeah. And the shame and the guilt that you got from it is exactly why people don't talk about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people don't talk about it with the people that they care the most about. Because sometimes, yeah, screw what strangers think. I don't want to look into the person that I love and they're judging me for it. Yeah. You know, yeah. that is like the worst confirmation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of like this is exactly why I keep my stuff to myself mm-hmm. right so I'm so sorry that you had that experience but I think from it you really honed in on trusting your intuition like this mm-hmm. is not someone that's good for me mm-hmm. right not even just now just in general right yeah. but I think from what you shared it actually said a lot more about him mm-hmm. than it did sure. about you yeah you know and I think listening to that is a huge thing but I think going back to I guess my journey with therapy mm-hmm. I've never actually had a therapist and it's something that's always been on my like I've wanted to but it was either when I was working I didn't have enough time afterwards when I quit my job I didn't have the money yeah and through my insurance at the time, I was asking my doctor for a therapist, mm-hmm. right? And through my insurance, they were like, yeah, make some phone calls. These are some people on the list. And every single person that I called, they're like, we're not taking any new clients because yeah. Trump. They oh, literally said that because there's just an influx of people seeking therapists. Wow. And also with my experience with depression, just even getting out of bed was a feat. Picking up the phone and talking to somebody was like climbing a mountain. And it's hard to explain because these are the exact things that when you talk to somebody mm-hmm. who doesn't understand, it's like, it's not that hard. Just pick up the phone, you know? Yeah. Like, I will tell you the one thing that does not help with people that are going through mental health issues is saying, just get over it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't say that. Even if you've never been through it, it helps nowadays to just watch video. And I think we can link some things that has helped for me and maybe yeah. you guys in understanding mental health if you've never dealt with it. Having compassion for another human being because you yourself are a human being. Yeah. And you don't have to get to the greatest, deepest depths of pain in order to feel compassion from someone, but just, it piles up. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing about releasing it, finding a release for yourself. And whether it's talking to a therapist, a life coach, or a counselor, or even your friend, it's understanding that self-care and self-love is making time to prioritize yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I even think that with preventative care for mental health is like going to the dentist, you know, I think it should be something that our society yeah. gets to a point where it's like, yeah, you can brush your teeth every single day. You could meditate, stay mm-hmm. in the present, go out, exercise, all these things. But there's some deep-rooted shit that you need a professional to help for a clean. Yeah. And I think if we're going to do that with physical and teeth and all mm-hmm. that, we should definitely do that with mental. Because there are things that we've been through in our life that has stuck and has been at the root of many of these issues. Yeah. For me, life coaching has been a form of that. Mm-hmm. There are people that have life coaches and therapists. And I think like that's something I'm very interested in doing. But life coaching has really gotten to the deep-rooted parts of why I even felt not good enough. What I was doing during that time of depression, even before then, of highlighting how I was just playing this facade. And that I was so attached to this image of myself. Mm -hmm. Because I was so afraid of when it fell. If someone Mm -hmm. were to sneak underneath and see who I really was, they'd be like, why are you even here? Why are you even working at this company? Why are you even friends with you? You know, like it came from a very deep seated place that came from my childhood. Mm. So these are the type of things that I'm working on now. And it's not that like now that I understand this, I'm cured forever. You know, it's an ongoing process, which is why I think mental health is just something that you're never like at a level where you're like, I'm cured. I'm good. I don't need any help from anybody. It's just part of the human experience. Yeah, I think in some ways it's like you could say that these depressive episodes are blessings in disguise. Yeah, Like that's how I viewed it, where had it not been for those periods where I would have sought therapy I wouldn't have asked these deeper questions and had the desire then to do some of these like deeper self-reflection and then that has actually like changed the course of like decisions that I made with like what to do with my career how I want to bond with my family more if you are having a hard time doesn't feel like it now but it can actually be quite a blessing in disguise yeah Absolutely. And that's exactly how I see it now. And it's through the Mm self-work, the self-work of self-awareness, self-development. Even before being diagnosed, I saw everything as like something that I had to do, something I had to do in order to get to where I wanted to get to. And now I see things as opportunities. And I think before in that mental space, when I was so in my own head about everything that it was all about me, 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 me. And I think that's the part where it's actually very conflicting when you see it's ironic where we're talking about self-love, self-care as being selfish, but on a normal basis, 
so much of our ego is focused on ourselves that that's how I think I got caught up in everything. Mm -hmm. And that's where the competitive nature came in. That like being in that environment bleeds into kind of the toxicness of just the filter that I saw life in. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like me against the world. I have to prove Mm -hmm. myself. I have to show you. I'll be real. Like when you guys first started your podcast, I definitely was just like, man, just jealous of everything that you guys were doing because I was just in that perspective of me, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think coming out of it through like life coaching and changing my mentality of like, this is so much bigger. It's outside of everything that I have believed in was a construct of rules that I chose to believe in through the perspective and lens that my life has brought me to. Mm -hmm. And I think through the depression, it was the breakthrough that I've always wanted Mm. of just like, girl, just get over yourself. This is not even about you. I think from that, there's like a sense of just final release of just forgiveness. Mm -hmm. I think at that point, I was able to finally forgive myself. And for the forgiveness of me always blaming myself that I was never good enough. The more I thought I wasn't good enough, the more I looked at other people and thought like, Mm -hmm. I have to tear them down because that's the only way that I feel that I can measure up in some way. But it's all lies, lies that I was building up in my own head. Nobody came up to me. I was like, sit your ass down, you know, like you're nothing. Those are all things that I chose to believe in. Yeah. Yeah. So depression, I think everything that you just said about it being a blessing in disguise really helped just cut me at the core of just like, what is my truth? And the Mm -hmm. ultimate truth was that I am made from love and I love. Mm -hmm. What a difference. Honestly, what a difference it's been just in this year. And I'm so happy and really just honestly so grateful that we're able to connect. One of my big aha moments was fully accepting that, the saying that life doesn't happen to you, it happens for you. And I think a lot of people are like, well, okay, in my life, I am not good enough in a lot of ways. So why should I deceive myself and live in this la-la hippie land of like, oh, everything's beautiful. I'm great. I fulfill myself all the time. You know, I'm enough when I don't truly believe that. Mm. And I think for me, it's like, I realize I only have two choices when it comes to things. And even understanding that you have a choice is a big aha moment. Two choices, love or fear. And I realized a lot of my life before was fear-based choices. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand it at the time. I just thought like, no, this makes perfect sense. I don't want, like, I think that's right. But then through the depression and self-awareness and life coaching, and I think for people who go through therapy, you can really, you can consciously and step fully into choosing love versus unconsciously thinking you're making a decision that's good for you, but it's really based off of fear of what will happen, what will be exposed. Yes, the glass is half full or half empty. Mm -hmm. Which one do you want to choose? How do you want to live your life? And you get to a point, for me, I discover my default patterns of choosing to see that life was half empty is that my life was not panning out the way that I wanted. I was not happy. I was working at a very job that a lot of people, they loved. They they thought it was such a great job. I had great family and friends, but internally I knew I wasn't happy. Mm-hmm. What now? What changes do I want to make? And that was me choosing that life doesn't happen to me. It happens for me and fully leaning into that. And my life has changed drastically. I think what you said was like, so beautiful. So beautiful. So beautiful. I could relate to you and you said that you choose fear over love. And to be honest, I think I actually still choose fear sometimes. And that's why I'm so anxiety prone. Because for me, a lot of my anxiety comes from not feeling good enough at work. Mm. And it's just like, I have all these expectations from my company or just even like for myself to perform, right? And I think a lot of our like our listeners are working women. And for me personally, like I have this weird mentality where I'm so scared to get in trouble by my boss. I'm mm. so scared that this is not the right choice. I'm scared to fail. Like I'm afraid. I'm always yeah. afraid of something, right? Yeah. And even little things that I know I would be better off for, like I would stay late sometimes in my last job because I was afraid that if I left early, that shows that I wasn't a good employee. Right. I was afraid of all these things. But I know deep down I do really value work-life balance. And it's also learning when to say, no, that's enough. I'm, I'm going to walk away from my laptop. I'm mm. going to walk away from my phone and not yeah. work. I see how my job trickles into my personal life. I'm also prone to anxiety because I can't turn off. Because my job requires me to be on my phone all the time. I'm running social media accounts for like three different things. And I always have to be like ready to answer, ready to go. 
because someone will say, hey, why don't you post? Hey, hey, why don't you do that? Yeah. I was like, you know what? I need to turn off because yeah. literally all this stuff and getting feedback from everyone made my anxiety even like skyrocket. I noticed all these decisions I make are based off fear though. Mm-hmm. Like I'm afraid. Actually, just listening to you talk about that, a lot of this is very paralleled with our discussion about imposter syndrome, yeah. right? And I think maybe anxiety disorder or mood disorder, that's like almost like a byproduct of imposter syndrome because mm-hmm. we're at work and we feel like everyone else is doing well. Yep. It's because we don't actually understand the struggle that everyone's going through in their own minds mm-hmm. and no one wants to talk about the struggle that they're going through to get to where they are. Yeah. So when you feel like you're not good enough, that's because no one talks about it. Yeah. And so you feel like you don't belong there and that's where the anxiety comes from. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. That's that, For me, that's exactly where it comes from. And I think one of the things we talked about in imposter syndrome is the sort of almost like the solution for it is to be more open. And it sounds like for mm-hmm. here too about mental health, to talk about it more, right? Mm-hmm. And the more that we normalize that conversation, I even think that your friend who you were talking to when you had that episode of anxiety, they would be more equipped to know that what you're going through is a normal thing. Mm-hmm. Or even just knowing what it is, right? Or that yeah. it happens. Right. Yeah, I think normalizing this type of conversation is very vital. As a human society, you know? <laughs> yeah. like, I really honestly believe all the chaos that's happening is because we don't talk about this stuff. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it comes out like, you know, Helen said, it bleeds out in like racism, discrimination, yeah. how I'm better than you. These are all coming from a place of insecurity and fear. Right. right. It's fear based. Everything that you're saying, well, makes perfect sense because mm-hmm. so everyone experiences mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And I think that's the thing when you hear that everybody else experiences it, that they also don't have their shit together. They also don't know. That is just life. The sense of control is false there is no sense of control in anything other than believing and knowing that you have a choice and your self-awareness and consciousness Mm -hmm. my biggest takeaway is that it's a practice it's not something that you're gonna once you get it and you're gonna it's like choosing to exercise Mm -hmm. you're not always motivated to do it sometimes there are days that you're like I'm not going to do it and it's okay, you know, but it is the little wins, the little practice, building that muscle, the mental muscle is really Mm -hmm. important. Yeah. And that whoever you're surrounded with, this is great to find an accountability partner. Mm -hmm. Because I think for me, I work better when someone else has my back and it's like checking in. And I know that plays into like, I don't want to burden other people. But honestly, if I knew that my friend was going through something and I can any way just like a text or a weekly thing. I would love to do it, anything that can help, right? And I think that's the part where it's like, how do we help each other show up as our best and most authentic self? Mm-hmm. And it's really through vulnerability is what I realized. Mm-hmm. Vulnerability is super hard because it takes courage to show up and kind of reveal the quote-unquote mess that you've mm-hmm. hidden for so long. But then when you do it, there's nothing else like it because when you kind of put down that shield, put down that armor, it's amazing to see when other people do it. And that connection, there's nothing else like it. And then you actually get to see that other person as just a regular human being, not someone that you've like, oh my God, Asian boss girl, they have to be like this. They're mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. They, they do no wrong. It's like, no, everyone's just a human being. Yeah. So it's super powerful to be able to create that sense of awareness where even what you're saying right now and then practice just hearing yourself and then coming from a place of non-judgment. Because if it were your friend that were saying these things, like if Helen was saying these things to you, Mel, I don't think you'd be like, dude, shut up. Like, yeah. you know, get over it. Like, mm-hmm. you have to be working. You have to be. And you actually be like, yeah, you know, take your time. Like, mm-hmm. it's, you're doing amazing. Practicing non-self-judgment is the hardest lesson that yeah. I'm learning. Yeah. But it makes a big difference. I feel like it's always easier to give advice than take your own. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. yeah. I'm totally, I'm like, sometimes I'm like, wait, I totally told her to do something that I'm not doing myself. Yeah. You know? I mean, because you've been conditioned most of your life to do that to yourself. That's true. To be your inner critic, to believe your inner critic. So Mm -hmm. then how do you shake off like two decades of that type of programming? But it comes down to the choice, right? Mm -hmm. And also maybe it can help that whenever you hear yourself having these thoughts about yourself and being harsh, like sub in like Mel or Janet. Yeah. (laughs) And then what would you say to them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think, yeah, it starts with like that self-awareness and then being vulnerable, right? All of that recognizing. And then it's like, secondly, like, what do you do with that? And Mel, you were giving some examples of like setting up boundaries. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, And I think oftentimes setting like putting, implementing that the behaviors and the habits and the boundaries actually requires a lot of confidence, which I think then is when we tie into like the sense of imposter syndrome for Asian women, especially like we have our natural default is to accommodate or like, who am I to ask for you to not message me after 10 PM? Or like, who am I to say, I'm not going to answer your Mm -hmm. emails or something like that. For me, it's like, I told myself to be unforgiving for the things I need. I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is setting boundaries at work. Yeah. And even with ABG stuff, where sometimes we're like texting or like, Hey, let's set this 
this for tomorrow. Let's talk about it tomorrow. That way we're not dealing with stuff late at night. Mm-hmm. Or can we take a night to not message, I guess? Sometimes we do that, right? Mm-hmm. One thing, Janet, you brought up was like being Asian American, it's hard to talk about this. I know Christine brought up about how your parents are really supportive, you know, of you, you know, seeking help. It's hard to talk about this with your parents. I think for me, my mom and I are really close. Yeah. We were fighting one time just about something random. And in the heat of the moment, I was telling her, like, I'm seeking therapy. And she like did not take it well in the moment. I think she was like, that doesn't make sense. Or like, you'd probably just take a pill or something. She said it in that way. Mm. But then after that conversation, we calmed down from like our fight. And I talked to her like level-headed. I was like, hey, I really want to take care of myself. And then she opened up her mind to it. And she messaged me like a few days later. I was like, hey, I I talked to my coworkers. And I actually found out like their kids actually go to therapy. And like, Mm. it's really good for you. So let me know how that's going for you. Keep me posted. And she like, now she's seeking answers from her friends and her peers so I feel like I know it's hard to talk about this with people that you like really love like your family but for me it actually opened up more dialogue with my mom to talk about that's a great that's a great example of like knowing that just because they have a bad initial reaction maybe sometimes we just need to give them time to sit with it because of the culture they're not accustomed to it right so like give them some time and they can come around to it and it just it's being kind of open with each other and communicating yeah. yeah. And I mean, look at our generation. We don't even know that much about it. Yeah. Of course they don't yeah. know. They've been accustomed to just stuffing it. Yeah. yeah. Not only is it the culture, but just what they had to do, oh, you know, yeah. to survive, basically. They don't at all comprehend, almost like you're speaking a different language. Mm-hmm. And I think through my experience with my parents, and I will force them to listen to me, yeah. you know, ultimately my parents were like, oh my God, I think we're depressed. I was like, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> you guys are totally depressed, you know? Mm-hmm. Also just thinking about it, like, I don't know if you get to this age, I mean, I'm turning 35 soon and it's like, you start realizing that your parents don't know a lot of what you think that they should know mm-hmm. or that they don't they, know they don't do the things that you think that they should do yeah. as like 60, 70 year old people, right? Yeah. Yeah. What I'm realizing now, it's like, I will be the one to initiate the I love you the yes, I hug. like yeah, what yeah. I want in my relationship with my parents I'm not going to wait on them yeah. to do it you know I've been waiting for 30 years mm. so I'll tell them I was like mom when you say that yeah. you know I know that you're coming from a place of love but this is how I'm interpreting it mm. is that true or not the things that they say and inform you like the assumptions that you've plugged in it makes a world of difference yeah. you know it's mind-blowing because mm-hmm. I think a lot of times with like the language barrier I was talking about it with Jack is like sometimes when they talk to me in like Chinese I don't know all the vocabulary so yeah. I'll just yeah. plug in what I think they mean uh, yeah. at the end you're like actually that's not at all what they meant yeah. you know so clarifying with them even though it's hard and that barrier is hard because ego I think a lot of times with ego and family there's a lot of history and triggers and you're like it's best not to fight I won't even bring this up because I know where this is going to end up but sometimes just gotta like go in but go in with like compassion understanding that they're human at the very core of them and you being their child I know everyone's experience is different but I would say majority of parents they love you they mm-hmm. want you to thrive. It comes out in different ways and like judgment and being really harsh. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, they want you to live your best life. They just have a very narrow perspective of what that is. Yeah. And it's okay for you to expand that a little bit. That's what I've learned growing up as an Asian you know, daughter. But And I have to say, I deeply respect that. And I feel a relatability to that. I think around like my 30s is when I started trying to push myself to have those conversations with my parents and actively saying the words like, this is what I'm hearing you say, yeah. but this <laughs> is how I'm interpreting. Because we do like the cultural and the language barrier makes it extra hard. And you're right, like the emotional triggers when it comes to people that you love love and close to in your life with your family, it makes it really challenging. It's a showcase of vulnerability that is really hard. But um, as you get older, like it really does deepen your relationship with your family too. Can I ask what are some things that they have said where you said, okay, this is what you're saying, but this is how I'm interpreting it? I can't think of an example. (laughs) So like recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So recently, oh my God, I got engaged, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then. You said boyfriend earlier, but fiance. You can't say it. Yeah. You know, it's been a really, really happy experience my parents are happy all my friends like you guys did such a beautiful job of celebrating and all that and then I was talking to my dad he was not having a great day and then he was like oh your mom this morning got mad at me because she said you haven't told your daughter to go see your grandma Uh, like my grandma Uh his mom and tell her that I'm engaged right like I'm supposed to bring Jack Uh and then he says to me he's like Christine I would think that you're smart enough to do it yourself but obviously you're not you know and Mm. I was like trigger (laughs) 
you know it was so true because like you don't have to say it that way yeah. like yeah, I think yeah. like with Asian parents of course he said it in Mandarin too but it's just like blunt so yeah. so, so blunt. unnecessary yeah. my interpretation is like you want to cut me you know you want to yeah. like yeah, yeah. make You're me trying feel to angry me. yeah you know you want to fight but through my experience with my dad and my journey with my dad it's been through many ups and downs when I said that in the height of my depression I was not talking to my dad for like three years so through my self-work it's like understanding that my dad has a lot of guilt that comes out in anger mm. and recently recorded an episode with Jack and my brother for Perfectly Imperfect about men and emotions mm. and just understanding that like yeah men the only emotions that they're allowed to show is anger or happiness and nothing in between mm. now like I haven't had that discussion with him yet you know it's something that I would I would be like you know because it's just happened <laughs> and I have to work through it in my head first and that's the thing right I want to be like at a place of like no I'm good with my dad can say stuff like that and I'm fine you know no it takes a lot of self-work and daily choice I think the progress that I have to give myself credit for that I'm working on is that I've come really far in that because mm-hmm. old me would have been like excuse me yeah. and I would have fought to the death with him that's yeah. just how we're accustomed to yeah. fighting so now it's like processing in my own head like yeah it's coming from a place of his own stress mm-hmm. what he's going through I want to talk about with him it's like hey what's going on with you what's been mm-hmm. happening with you and choosing for myself not to believe that interpretation because yeah. it doesn't matter what the other person says they can say all the good things about you if you don't believe it yourself it doesn't matter mm-hmm. they can say all the shitty things about you believe it then you know what i mean it's mm-hmm. like so what ultimately do you believe about mm-hmm. yourself and i know that i'm not doing to disrespect him or old me would have interpreted it mm-hmm. yeah those are the kind of the steps that i go through This episode is brought to you by Skillshare. One thing we're really big on here at ABG is leveling up. What helps us to be strong, intelligent women is continuously learning new skills, which allows us to thrive. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of classes for creators, entrepreneurs, and curious people everywhere. I recently took a road trip with my boyfriend and we passed by a car in the street that was emitting what looked like water instead of gas fumes from its exhaust. I'd never seen a car like this on the road before, so I looked it up, and Skillshare had a really good summary of the difference between hydrogen electric cars versus the lithium-ion battery car like a Tesla. Kind of random, but so great that Skillshare has so many topics, 29,000 others to be exact, that can satiate your curiosity. Join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for ABG listeners. Two months free. That's right. Skillshare is offering Asian boss for listeners two months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash ABG. Again, that's Skillshare.com slash ABG to start your two months now. Skillshare.com slash ABG. I also feel like when you're in a good mental space, like after you've gone through therapy and you're starting to see like half glass full and you're starting to see things out of love rather than fear, you start hearing comments from other people and you're like, I think you're going through something, you know? Yeah, yeah. And you stop you're taking things. To that. Yeah, yeah, or you stop taking things so personally mm-hmm. because when you're in a place of like darkness, you'll take everything very personally yeah. and you'll you'll be offended by it, right? Mm-hmm. But then once you're good with yourself, you're like, mm, you're going through something and you're coming from a place of negativity <laughs> yeah. and I want to help you. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, there's like a lot of compassion that comes from it, right? Because you yeah. put yourself outside of just your own perspective. Just love, right? I think love. Out of can love, yeah. Do that. Yeah. For sure. Christine, besides like a change, in mindset like what are some things now that you're doing to prevent depression from coming back I guess from the, mm. from the degree it was before there's several things I mean meditation absolutely helps like you said I think what you guys touched upon about creating boundaries mm. is a huge thing that I'm learning right now because that is a great form of self-love mm-hmm. coming also from an Asian family where there are no boundaries yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. it's hard to establish mm-hmm. that I like actually got into a fight with my dad two months ago which also created a lot of anxiety for me at the time it's always triggered on my grandma but it's like you have to do this this for your grandma you have to and mm. I'm the person that I realize I cannot be forced to do things mm-hmm. that's something I'm also working on of self-awareness and I started to tell him hey I appreciate your sentiment of it but I would appreciate if you just gave me the space to do it myself mm. you know and even just saying no it triggered a huge fight you know it's everything that reasons why we don't create boundaries but I also realized that through depression and mental health is that creating boundaries is for yourself so it is preventative from you reaching limits right 
right? Like yeah. reaching the point where I realized through my work at the time with my family and my relationship when I didn't create boundaries, I was getting stepped on all over the place. Mm-hmm. If you don't define it for yourself, other people will take it. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's not necessarily a conscious thing for them too. It's just like kind of what you make available. You're like, no, no, I'm always down. I'm always right, there for right, you. Yeah. But then behind the scenes, you're like, what the hell? Mm-hmm. You know? And yeah. that's what I realized. I a lot of anger and resentment built mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. So before I get to that point now, I'm recognizing that. And also just... Like I said, listening to my body and my mental state. So as much as I'm like, yeah, I'm more social now, there are times I'm just like, no, I'm good with just staying home. Mm-hmm. I may have set out a plan to be totally productive today, but I wake up, my mental state is not in the best place. I allow myself to rest yeah. and I don't judge myself for it or try not to. I feel like with Mel, like before I used to like force you to go out all the time. <laughs> and then it wasn't until you started opening up about like, okay, I have anxiety. I have like whatever I need to stay home today mm-hmm. that I respect that. Sure, I'll push you as a friend. Be yeah. like, are you sure you don't want to come out? And is this going to help you get out of that like place when you're surrounding yourself with people that you love, right? Mm-hmm. But now I feel like I push a little bit less. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> much, much less actually. Oh. But yeah, so when you create those boundaries to what Christine was saying, if you don't create those boundaries, then you'll have people that are going to harp on your space yeah. that you need for yourself. And not with bad intention yeah. it's just like yeah because they're just unaware so it's yeah. more like if you don't set the boundaries they don't know either so yeah. it makes sense yeah. if you don't know yourself and you don't define it for yourself you can't yes. expect other people exactly. to know yeah. Yeah. exactly yeah. so that's why communication i always say this communication is key to everything mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and communicating with yourself is part of the self-love one way that i start to be perceptive of if i'm going into a more depressive state is i now am more cognizant of my thoughts mm-hmm. one thing is like when i go to yoga and if i'm in a really negative mood and i'm struggling with a movement i notice that if i start to blame the instructor like my inner dialogue is like oh my god like why are you not being perceptive why are you forcing this or if i'm getting pissed off with the guy to my left i'm like ooh, okay <laughs> first being aware i'm thinking these thoughts and then janet usually when you're thinking this way it means like, you need to like chill out a little bit or you need to get mm-hmm. into a little bit more self-care or maybe move, that was move, a tangent move your, move your yoga mat <laughs> away. <laughs> far away that's a choice yeah. yeah yeah but i think all of that to say is being aware of thoughts and your mood yeah right? and that was something that like through the therapy sessions i was going through more recently we went through the exercise of journaling but in a structured way she would say every day think about like what was a negative thought you had let's write it out let's write out a thing happened you interpreted it this way now flip it how what is the opposite interpretation Mm -hmm. and then what's the time that the opposite interpretation was true so it's like very active ways where you start to train your mind to to think Mm -hmm. differently and to start being able to see the glass as half full versus like half empty totally and that's something through life coaching that in a different kind of way but kind of the same objective was like your entire life you gather evidence to what you believe, right? So I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. This happened here. This happened here. Mm-hmm. I'm at work. This happened here. This is exactly why I'm not good enough. But the same could be true, right? So the same half full, half empty. The glass and the milk in it or whatever's in it didn't change, right? So flipping it and like, all right, so what if what if I choose to believe that I am good enough? Mm-hmm. What would life look like then? What are the evidence that I have been good enough? Because that has been true. Mm-hmm. It's just like when those moments have happened, what we what do we do? We dismiss it. We're like, oh, anybody could do that. That's mm-hmm. not a big thing, right? So that comes from understanding and accepting a different way of looking at things and understanding that we all have our own perspectives and we project it on other people. So that's why a lot of times when things trigger you, it's not about that person. It's about about what's happening. It's about you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how you're interpreting it. That was something that I learned to let go that I was holding on to, which I think contributed to my depression for a long time, was I was unable to let go of the things that had happened at work with my family and with Jack. And that's all been a process. And going back to your yoga moment, right? Now that you've gone through a couple of sessions of therapy, you're able to identify it, which I think is the first step, right? To be able to identify that you're feeling a certain way. What's, I guess, the second step that you take then? So you're like, okay, this guy next to me smells. (laughs) Like, how do you sort of spin that around so that you don't have such negative feelings towards people around you? Well, it's more that that's a symptom. So the symptom that if I'm thinking that way, I'm in a bad mood. So then I'll think back, okay, what has been happening that might, maybe I'm not sleeping really well. Maybe Mm -hmm. I'm stressed out at work. Mm -hmm. And then those are things that I can actively, okay, I'm going to try to go to bed earlier tonight, or I know this weekend then I need a day off, or I need to go for a run. So there is recognizing if I'm feeling or thinking certain things, that usually is like, I'm not in the best place. And then what are my tools that usually help me get in a better place? Mm. And do you think therapy has put you into that mental space? My single strongest takeaway from the last six months has been being more self-aware. I'm more perceptive now to like, if I'm in a negative mood, just recognizing I'm in a negative mood, and then trying to figure out like why that might be, and then how 
to handle it versus before I would just go through the negative mood or go through the negative state and then like realize a month later, oh shit, now I'm like depressed. (laughs) Yeah, because it's unconsciously happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Staying in an angry state and not knowing why. Yeah, not being perceptive. And then suddenly a month later, I'm like, why am I sleeping a lot? Why am I angry? I'm like kind of reclusive (laughs) now, you know, like so just catching it early. Yeah, I think that all ties into working on trying to be present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've had earthquakes in the past couple of days, right? And I think sometimes it takes something like near death type of experience to bring you back to what really matters. And I think it brings you back to the moment, right? And so how do you do that on a normal basis when there isn't an earthquake or there isn't something threatening your life? And I think that's the key because then ultimately the people who are on their deathbeds always say like, what mattered to them their entire life all the things that they thought mattered never mattered and they focused mm-hmm. too much time on that right and it's a little bit too late but now it's like you can you can now it takes practice yeah. saying the present moment is not something that i think there's reasons why monks live in the mountains for like their entire life to kind of be and practice that state but that's why meditation is important right even if it's just like two seconds expanding that time mm-hmm. over just practice will help even just for a little bit, right? So when you're in those moments of feeling triggered, you can tap into what's happening versus just going through the motions and going through the default pattern of how you've always handled things. I think tying it back to what you were saying about how do you develop true confidence in yourself? I think essentially with mental health, it comes down to confidence and loving yourself. Like loving yourself is like having pride in who you are, right? That's the part where I believe we can always strengthen. Because there's life and situations that happen are always going to tell us that you're not good enough. These are the things why you shouldn't empower yourself. But learning your own self-truth, which I believe comes down to love and what you were born with. And through life, a lot of noise comes into our life, whether it's through forms of you know parents, friends, or work, your boss saying something, we internalize that. Mm-hmm. And that all kind of encompasses into just noise in our head. And when you get to a point where you're able to hear the inner critic, that means you're already at a really great state. Yeah, Because... I think before my 20s, I just thought it was all me. I could never sift through that. I'm like, oh yeah, this is all these noises. It's it's me. Actually, going back to what you said about the inner critic, I do think that that's pretty essential. A, being aware that you're having negative thoughts. And then if you're insulting yourself, then start to think like the actual thing that you're being critical about. Why do you think that way? Is it truly how you think? Or is it because you were raised, you know, like maybe a parent had that messaging or a really close friend has that messaging. And once again, it's like no one has maybe the negative intention, but it's like how you're influenced to think. Totally. Um, And then that's the first step to unwinding that type of thinking. You talked about meditation is really great. I found that journaling was another thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's another tool where you start to spot like how you're thinking and then when you're thinking negatively. And if there's a persistent negative thought that keeps coming up, like that's something that you know that probably is a good thing to address. Yeah, explore, be curious about instead of going to that state of like, what is wrong with me? It's like, wait, why? Why is this coming up? You know, mm-hmm. and a lot of times when you unroot the cause, you dive in all the way deep. You're like, where does this I'm not good enough come from? And that's why working with a professional can really help you get there faster. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. I'm the firstborn. I'm the daughter. I have a younger brother. My entire life up into my 20s, I thought like my parents always loved and favored my brother more because in the Asian mm-hmm. culture, mm-hmm. you get a son, right? Mm-hmm. I carried that weight with me wherever. So whatever they did, it was always like, oh, yeah, of course, because you love him more. You love him more. And mm-hmm. I totally took it out on my brother. It wasn't until my 20s when I actually went through my first type of like more introspective kind of classes that I took. They had us write down one of the things that we had thought our entire lives and actually confront the person that we thought that. So I asked my mom and she's like, your brother was an accident. We didn't even plan for him, you know? And this is completely mind blown because I was like, I thought we were just happy, the three of us. And I and that was where the I'm not good enough came from because I'm a daughter and this is not what you wanted. So therefore you tried another kid until you had a son. And then then you felt like, oh, he's enough. That release is amazing that, you know, it was like, oh, my entire life, all the weight that I carried around with me was because I believed the stupid lie that I told myself as a four-year-old when my brother came about. So I think that's the power of learning to sift through the noise and what is your truth from that. Mm -hmm. And that is where confidence comes from because nobody else can tell you that. You feel it. As you're talking, I'm sifting through my own mind. I was like, wow, there's some things I kind of like need to uncover. As yeah. speaking, so. We all do. And I think that's why mental health is important because there's always things that you uncover. It's not to say it as a discouraging thing, like you can never dig yourself out yeah. of this. It only enhances your life. It only frees you. Yeah. So mental health before with me was very, I didn't know much information about it. And now that I do, it's actually a very empowering tool because I feel like there's so much that we can learn from each other from it and ourselves. 
And we just want to thank you for joining us on this episode and share your knowledge and all your learnings from like, you know, your experience with depression and mental health, because I do agree just talking about it more will help our listeners, everyone, even on this table to make the the topic of mental more acceptable in society. Mm -hmm. Thank you for covering the spectrum of mental health too, because I feel like some people just look at it as a big bucket of depression. What does that Mm -hmm. mean? But it's the spectrum. It can be of the more serious things and depressive episodes, but it can also be about self-awareness and preventative care. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for inviting me. I like feel like it was a great therapy session for me no this is like this is i mean for someone like me who has not gone to therapy yet right like even the first time i thought about it was when mel and janet brought it up that they were going i was like oh it's an okay thing to do Mm -hmm. it's kind of like dating apps like oh you're on dating apps i guess i'll go on dating apps (laughs) i'm going to therapy i'm going to therapy too right and i think the more that we just talk about it just hearing the journey to hear what you go through and that we are all okay right as long as you not internalize so much within yourself and talk about it amongst like trusted friends you're gonna feel so much better and to see that you just exude like love and positivity now because you know that that part of you is released and accepted that is so beautiful and Mm -hmm. i hope that people who are listening who are going through things you know you can find someone who's a trusted friend or even just therapist to talk about these things with and to release and feel feel pure love is what I get from yeah. Christine. So, yeah. And it's not selfish. It's actually a sense of self-responsibility for you to be in charge of your own happiness. Well, that's so good. And <laughs> it's so true. And how you show up as your best self is how you show up for the world and the yeah. people around you. And that helps them show up as their best self. So yes. it's a ripple effect. <laughs> so love, love all around. Yeah. No fear. And I'm pretty sure you guys all fell in love with Christina as we did with this podcast. So she actually has two podcasts that you guys also <laughs> fall in love with. She has a podcast with Regina called Perfectly Imperfect. And she also has one about her life coach journey called mm-hmm. XOXO Christine. So make sure to check her out on iTunes. Are you on Spotify too? Yes, on all of them. Podcast, all the podcasts podcasts and platforms. Show her some love there and I'm pretty sure you will benefit from listening to her. I also want to extend out that if you guys are ever interested, I am a life coach. So you could get more information from my website, xoxochristine.com. And if you ever just feel like you want someone to talk to, like, yeah, I'm here. What are your social handles for our listeners who want to hit you up? <laughs> They're all different. They're all different. <laughs> <laughs> but if you go onto my website, you'll find all the ways that you can, awesome. you can connect with your website. me. xoxochristine.com. Yeah. Perfect. The Imperfect. Sorry. (laughs) I love that title, by the way. It's so good. (laughs) It took us forever to find it. Well, that wraps today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us, Christine. Uh, Check her out again, xoxochristine.com. Also, check us out. We are all on the iTunes platform, Spotify, ABG, Asian Boss Girl. Asian Boss Girl, XOXO Christine, Perfectly Imperfect. (laughs) That's like a whole weekend's worth of, if you haven't caught up yet. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a month full of content right there. We have a lot of things to say. (laughs) So Christine mentioned that there's mental health references that we'll include in our website, AsianBossGirl.com. We're also active on social media at Asian Boss Girl. And you can also find us at Gmail at AsianBossGirl at gmail.com. Thanks, guys. We'll catch you guys on the next episode. Bye. Bye.